Jackson. Get that thing out of here, boy. They lob low for right. He's triple teams. Takes it anyway, and a two-hand step shot Lorenzen by Lorenzen Wright. Previously on Killing Lorenzen. As far as boys basketball goes, he's the best that's ever played here. I can't think of anyone that's been better, at least since I've been alive. You need to come to Memphis and stay with me. And I'm going to send you over to another friend of mine, Fred Hoyt, at Booker T. Washington. You would hear his name, and then now when the scuttlebutt started, that he might transfer to BTW for senior year. Well, the city went crazy. Cheryl was in school up there. And I think it was our last game. She came to the gym to meet her father. And that's kind of how it got started. Just fun, you know, fun kid. Uh, She's going to make you laugh. She's going to break some of the rules. A little probably more mature than most. You know, she wasn't a little beady girl as far as, you know, she looked very mature, but still a kid. You know, just had fun in school. The reason had to be about 16. 16, been 17 in November. Yeah, she was robbing the cradle. How you gonna sit your body out like this, like for sale? So that that was turn off me, like that showing this boy all your body. Show him your mind, what's in your head, not what you see outside. The good news for BTW center Lorenzen Wright is he's whittled his choices down to just two schools, Memphis State and Ole Miss. We all knew where he was going to go play. You know, he was going to play, go play for my, my good friend. I wanted to send him somewhere where I know he was going to look out for him. And I knew I could get that with Larry. So it was a fun year. It was a fun time for us, especially being young men from Memphis. Made it even more special. Huh? Made it even more special. I mean, if you look at that roster, I think we were probably 80% Memphis guys. So, you know, that's, that was rare at that time. Um, you know, Larry did a great job of keeping kids at the, from the city who play well, keeping them here. Lorenzen Wright's choice to become an NBA player has gone from testing the waters to no turning back. This is what he asked me. He said, Mama, when am I going to get a job that's going to pay me $1 million with a degree if I stay in school? I thought about that for about 10 minutes. I said, oh, when you say you leave? The Los Angeles Clippers select. Only one in 10,000 high school athletes will ever make it to the NBA and have their names called for the pros. Lorenzen Wright from the University of Memphis. Lorenzen Wright became a member of that rare club in 1996. It was a very big surprise. You know, I had no idea that L.A. was going to pick me. But on the biggest night of his career so far, that wasn't the only surprise in store for Lorenzen. I said, you cannot turn a whore into a housewife. I'm Zanetta Lowe. And I'm April Thompson. This is Killing Lorenzen, Love, Basketball, Murder. Episode 3, The NBA. Just a warning, this episode contains explicit language. It was the spring of 1996, and Lorenzen Wright had played two years of basketball at the University of Memphis. The 6'11 center was hanging up his college jersey and testing the waters of the pros. Monte Nevels was Lorenzen's close friend and roommate. Listen to what he says Lorenzen told him. He's like, uh, man, I think I'm going to the NBA this year. 
I said, what do you mean? He said, man, I just found out some things that's going on in my life. I don't really know what they are. It's like everybody benefiting from my career but me. You know, we just paid UMass, Memphis number three, UMass number one. Uh, and I feel like I'm working and working and working and everybody's benefiting from me but myself. Former WREG sports director Glenn Carver says it was no secret what was next. Everyone knew Lorenzo was going to turn pro early at that point. The speculation was way... Uh, it was, I mean, it was too good, yeah. His stock wasn't going to get any higher staying at Memphis. Here's Lorenzen's U of M teammate, Cedric Henderson. I wasn't surprised. I knew it was happening. I knew what was going on. Uh, at the time, uh, you know, we he had that type of uh, draw to him. You know, uh, even if he didn't have a great game, you knew he played the game because he just was out there with just so much energy and passion. Uh, you know, at his size, you know, a guy that size moving like he's moving, that was at that time was the prototype NBA player. Uh, you know, you, you didn't see a guy at 6'8", six, 6'9", six, run the floor and jump like he jumped and, and be as quick as he was. So you knew we weren't going to be able to keep that unicorn down for a while. So we just enjoyed the two years he was there. Lorenzen's father, Herb Wright, who had prepped him for the pros, says Lorenzen was ready. In his mind, he was. And, you know, he was. He wanted to get paid, so... So I couldn't stop him, you know, if that's what he wanted to do. I mean, that was his dream. What would he tell you about that? About coming out? Mm -hmm. Well, at that time, he had a son. <laughs> so he wanted to go, go so he can support his family. June 26, 1996, East Rutherford, New Jersey. Deborah Marion is sitting at a big round table draped in a blue tablecloth. She's wearing a cream-colored formal dress with a single strand of pearls. Do you remember what draft night was like? My, you, I could hear my heart in my ear. Actually, I ended up getting uh, something from um, Kobe Bryant's sister. Something to calm me down. She used to cause her mama was a wreck too. Uh, we could hear our, she could hear her heart and her, her ears too. Both. I can't hardly breathe because you can hear that hard. Like, and then we're sitting there talking, and then I say, y'all, that man just said, where is Lorenzen right tape? Herb said, you can't hear way over there now, but I can read lips when it's saying my child name. See, you ain't paying attention to your surroundings. Hello. And they sure was looking for Lorenzen right table. By that time, when I see the man said, where's Lorenzen right table? He holler, he got to go to the bathroom. So when the man get the table, he's not even there. What were you thinking? Where is this boy at? I told him this man said, what is Lorenzen Wright's table? I read his lips. I ain't take my eyes off of him. So Lorenzen makes it back. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so good. He was like, wait a minute, y'all. Wait a minute. He said, I got to get hugged before I go up there. He went to hug me and my mama. Say, yep, this is it. The Los Angeles Clippers select Lorenzen Wright from the University of Memphis. What was that feeling like when, he called, when they oh, called his name? Oh, we special now. He done up and done it. This boy done up and done it. He said that's what he was going to do, and he did. Everything he said he was going to do in his life, he did it. The moment every basketball player dreams of had just become a reality for Lorenzen Wright. He was drafted by the Los Angeles Clippers as the seventh overall pick in the 1996 draft. 
the latest. His dad is Herb. He's the head women's coach at Shelby State Community College in Memphis. Played some pro ball in Finland. His mom, Deborah. And Lorenzen Wright. The audio you just heard was the voice of a commentator from draft night describing Lorenzen making his way around the table hugging family. He's wearing a black pinstripe suit with a black, white, and gray pattern tie. As Lorenzen walks onto the stage, he slightly adjusts the Clippers hat he just put on, flashes that trademark big smile, then walks toward then-Commissioner David Stern and shakes his hand. Stern points forward, presumably pointing out the camera, and the two of them look toward the crowd and smile. I had no idea that L.A. was going to pick me. I didn't even go down there to do an interview or anything. And now, you know, they're picking me, so I'm going to make the best of it. What's it like sitting and waiting and, and then finding out you're going out west? I mean, the emotions that went along with this? Oh, man, you know, you're sitting there, and it seems like you're waiting for years for your name to be called. And when you're called, it's the greatest feeling in the world. How can you help this team? Well, I think I think the team needs a whole, you know, a whole lot of improvement. I need a whole lot of improvement, so hopefully we can improve together. Lorenzen's father was sitting at the table draft night in his wheelchair, dressed in a black suit with a white shirt buttoned all the way up to the top. No tie. The former Ole Miss and professional basketball player turned college coach had guided much of Lorenzen's game and career thus far. So what was that like for you all? Because you have been working with him and you saw how he had come along and then this is like the ultimate. Yeah. Yeah, you just kind of felt like, hey, we, we made it, yeah, we made it. I, I wanted to play NBA, uh, I just didn't have enough experience. So, you know, I knew what I learned as a pro player. There was no doubt that, you know, if he's receptive, that he'd get a shot. And, Growing seven inches over the summer didn't hurt at all either. You know, coming 6'11. Just didn't, it just didn't happen every day, 6'11 with the athleticism that he had. Lorenzen may not have known it, but he had been on the radar of the Los Angeles Clippers. They later told his dad, Herb, why. And like I know we'll forget <clears throat> the uh, one of the coaches for the L.A. Clippers when we went to live in L.A. You know, he said, Coach Wright, he said, you know why we took Lorenzen? I said, I got an idea, but you can tell me. He said, we went to, we went to his practice. We let everybody know we was coming. And, you know, we watched them practice. And he said, Lorenzen was out running the guards. And he he said they sat there and talked and said, okay, we're going to watch him a while, and then we're going to leave. But what we're going to do, we're going to come back and come upstairs and peep down. You know, he don't, he's, he don't do that all the time. He said, Coach, we came in and looked down, and you know what? I said, yeah, he was still out running the guards, wasn't he? He said, you're right. And he said, that is very rare for a big man to <laughs> run the guard. Here's an interview Lorenzen did with WREG about his new team after the draft. It's by phone, so the audio isn't great. You know, hopefully we can turn everything around. You know, they got some good players coming in. They got a good um, rookie last year, and then they got me this year. So, you know, we're on the rise. 
and hopefully we can turn everything around. If whatever I do, if I work hard, I'll be playing, you know, or if I want to, if I, depend, it depends on me what, and what I do. Lorenzen's 1996 draft class would go down as one of the best in basketball history. The first pick was Allen Iverson. There was Marcus Camby, Stephon Marbury, Ray Allen, Steve Nash. Oh, and at 13, a guy named Kobe Bryant. What was that weekend like? All that fun, 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 fun. Awesome. And then you see players from the back in the day. You know, my, my you know if my mama recognized players, it was some players from way back in the day. I'm on my eight or seven now. As Lorenzen and his family were celebrating outside New York, more than a thousand miles away here in Memphis and in his hometown of Oxford, Mississippi, Lorenzen had entire communities watching and cheering him on. Do you remember draft night? From the standpoint of, yeah, that, you know, everyone's, where's our guy going? You know, in Memphians, where's, where's our Memphis guy going? Here's local sports columnist Jeff Calkins. I remember that draft. I wasn't at that draft, but watching him cross the stage and happy moment for everybody. Obviously, his, his dad was a significant figure in his life in the wheelchair. Elsie Lewis Bailey was Lorenzen's principal at Booker T. Washington High School in Memphis. Antonio Harris was his teammate. That was my first time sitting down watching the draft because I never had a reason to watch the draft. I would read about it the next day and be happy for the young people. But when I saw him stand up chosen number seven in the country, I was so proud for his family and for him. I was very related about it because uh, I just knew the, the player that he was when I first met him until the player that he uh, evolved into. And I was like, well, one thing the Clippers going to get, they're going to get a hard worker. They're going to get a person that's always pushing to improve. And he's, he's a big-time rebounder and play defense. And I think that's what he pretty much got drafted from. I remember the day that he got drafted, and it was like we all got drafted. Phil Dotson was one of Lorenz's closest friends. They both pledged the fraternity Kappa Alpha Psi together at the University of Memphis. I can just remember days where we would, you know, talk about what it would be like, you know, what it would be to get drafted and how it would be to walk across the stage and, you know, to shake the commissioner's hand. And, you know, we talked, we debated on whether or not he would throw the, throw the, throw the yo on the stage and, you know, try to get, <laughs> you know, to, to, you know, throw a little shout out to his fraternity brothers. Um, and, you know, and he did. And it was, uh, it was, um, you know, that's why I said it felt like we all got drafted too. Lorenzen was a first round pick and right there beside him, his girlfriend, Cheryl Robinson and their baby boy, Lorenzen Jr. All of the old interviews and video from Lorenzen's draft night show the smiles, hugs, and tears of joy. But there's another photograph from that night that paints an entirely different picture of behind-the-scenes drama that was already apparently unfolding. We was all in the hotel room, and he was standing behind her looking down at her like, now what you gonna do? Now, you can see the picture. Most of the people in that picture are smiling, except for Lorenzen and his friend Monte Nevels. The two had a heated discussion on draft night. Monte and Lorenzen had become buddies when Shara and Nevels' girlfriend were roommates. And as the draft approached, Monte says he started helping Lorenzen with some of his business affairs, acting as somewhat of a manager. And so 
the two things that 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 I wanted to see transpire. One is for him to sign because I knew Lorenzo never really had structure in his college career. He didn't have business structure. He just had a lot of people in his life that was there, but there was no structure there. So I knew if we can get this kid some structure in his life, then his career could propel in advance. And so uh, that was one of the bombers for me is when he decided that he didn't want to sign with the Postons. Brothers Kevin and Carl Poston were Penny Hardaway's agents, and they'd secured him a monster $65 million contract with the Orlando Magic in 1993. Lorenzen signed with Robert Fain, someone his father Herb knew and trusted. Monte also saw moving to California as the perfect opportunity to leave the girlfriend Shara behind, but he was in for another shock just hours after the draft announcement. So he comes in my room and he says to me, Hey, man, we got to talk. So this is the second bomber in the same week. And I said, okay, what do we want to talk about? Man, man, anywhere else but California. Anywhere else but California. Shara says she would have been okay with it. But, man, she don't want me going to California by myself. She was just crying. I need to take her to California with me. And I stopped. And all of this frustration... I had built up over the course of the last couple of years came out. I said, Lorenzen, I've been meaning to tell you this for a long time. I said, you cannot turn a whore into a housewife. Because at this point now, everything I've put in place is shattered. I see nothing but the demise of his career now. I said, Lorenzen, if you take her to California with us, with you, she's going to be the death of you. You said that? I said that. Of course, at that point. I had no idea what I was saying. I just knew that there was so much had happened, so much evil and deceit and wickedness that had transpired that I knew that if she got to California, that their relationship on so many different levels wouldn't work. Didn't know what wouldn't work. I just knew it wouldn't work. While they reconnected years later, Neville says his relationship with Lorenzen was never quite the same after draft night, and in his opinion, neither was Lorenzen's life. So I said, Lorenzen, I said, Cheryl will be the death. I said, your business economically is not going to be right because there's not going to be an accountability. There's going to be people just spending your money, and you're not going to have anybody in position to watch it. And on top of this, you're dealing with a woman who does not have your best interest at heart. And I told him that. Did he tell you to uh, go to hell? Did he? <laughs> no, that night he went to California by himself. I didn't go to California. No. He I got on go. the plane without you. He got on the plane without me. Yeah. The reason they told Monte that Cheryl was going to come back to Memphis, not him. But at the end, see who came back to Memphis. They put Monte on the plane, sent him back to Memphis, not Cheryl. Mm-mm. He really loved her. Yes. Yes. Yes, he did. For real, for real. I'm convinced that had he signed with Kevin and Carl Poston and had he left Cher at home, first of all, he would still be alive today. Uh, and second of all, he would have a, a something to show for the time that he played in basketball. Uh, and again, it was set up for failure from the beginning. You believe the entire trajectory of his life would be different? Yes. And the fact that he would, we wouldn't, you and I wouldn't be sitting here because he would be alive today. But Lorenzen's mom, Deborah, tells us Shara had to do something before she was ever allowed to get on the plane to L.A. 
And she in the in the prenup, she's supposed to been going back to college, getting a degree. She said, here it is, still hadn't got her. We 24 years gone and still ain't got no degree yet. She signed a prenup? Yes. She wasn't going to get on that plane if she didn't sign. Mm-mm. She's been right here in Mexico. He couldn't deal what he had to do without her. So there is a prenup? Yes. She's supposed to be going her ass back to school, and he was paying for everything and getting her degree so she can be self-sufficient. But what happened? Trifling money. She had that money. She figured, I ain't got to go to work. I ain't got to do nothing. I, I, I ain't got to get no degree. I got this money pouring in. What am I going to stop doing what I'm doing for every day to go to school? But try as we did, we've been unable to locate a copy of that prenup and all the documents we perused. But according to Deborah, Shara signed it, and her new life with Lorenzen and the NBA was about to begin. Lorenzen and his young family headed to California so he could start his NBA career with the Los Angeles Clippers. Lorenzen had plenty of support in L.A. He took several family members and friends with him, among them his dad Herb and Herb's wife and young son. We went to California. He's 20 years old. I would have let him go on alone, but I said, 20 years old in L.A.? I, I gotta go with him. So me and Lisa and Lou moved to California with him and his family. What was that like, um, moving to California? It was a big adjustment, I guess, for everyone. And then he was on the road, he's traveling and... Yeah, well, I basically took it upon myself. I would have to take Lou to school in the morning. So I would pick up Lorenzen Jr. and and Lauren, my grandson and granddaughter. And after I dropped Lou off, I would take them to school, drop them off. I did that every day. And Lorenzen and me would pick them up in the evening, one or the other. We'll talk more about the kids shortly, but Lorenzen's big move to L.A. was indeed a family affair. Lorenzen's uncle, who's disabled, the one Lorenzen literally carried on his back to watch him play at the gym as a kid, well, as some older folks in the South like to say, he carried him with him to California. Lorenzen's aunt, Zeddy Vassar, describes the moment her brother Lee found out he was moving to California. So the night of the party, my nephew came to the house, he had a gold chain with an eagle on it. That was his birthday gift. He said, uh, you ready to go? You know when I leave, you leave with me. My brother came flying on his knees, flying back down, said, I'm ready to go off. I said, I told you. I told I called my mom, I said, I told y'all. God, you gonna take leave with him? The next day, they was picking him up and taking him to California. He, he hadn't been back since to live. And then came back and said, he still is the... Biggest Clipper fan, because that was the first team to draft. He's still the biggest Clipper fan. He had season tickets to the Clippers. It wasn't just family, though. Lorenzen would invite friends and relatives out for extended vacations, and several of them worked for him. Michael Gibson was Lorenzen's childhood friend from Oxford. He later worked for Lorenzen when he moved to Atlanta, but spent lots of time in Los Angeles, too. He was still in college at the time. What did you Loved do? Loved L.A. Whoa, what we didn't do. We would go to casinos. We would go to the beach. Um, we would do whatever we could. We stay on Venice Beach all the time. Um, I would feel a lot of shopping. 
And then it was just a lot of time just sitting at the house kicking it. I be I'm not always the cook. That's what I do. I got I do catering on the side, so I was always cooking. So I was always at the grill, no matter where we went. So after I graduated from college, um, I moved to uh, Los Angeles, uh, and I moved with um, Lorenzo, and he had invited me. <clears throat> I had graduated and uh, going through a few little things, you know. Uh, personally, my parents had gotten a divorce, and um, you had had, um, uh, you know, I was just at a crossroads. I, you know, figured out what I wanted to do in my life, and he said, "Well, come on out." And I was supposed to have just been out there for about a week, and then I ended up being, you know, almost a year in in LA, and <clears throat> you know, being there and you know, going to, uh, you know, you know, being with the family. I mean, they had a they had a close knit, you know, uh, family, and you know, family was like, like you know, uh, my uncle said it's, you know, he was always uh, family was so important. Phil Dotson's parents were educators. He now works for Shelby County Schools, and he'd come from a home with two parents, solidly middle class, where they ate dinner every night at the kitchen table. Lorenzen admired that, joking they were the real Cosbys. And so when his friend was going through a tough time because of his parents' divorce, it made sense to pay it forward. I can remember having the conversation, and at the time I wasn't working, and so he was like, you know, one of the the agreement, the 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 packs that we made was that he said that, all right. I said, buddy, I, I can't I can't stay out here alone. I don't have any. I don't have a job. I got bills, and he's like, oh well, just keep working for me like you're doing. I'll pay your bills. And so I can remember there being times where you know he would just you know every other week he you know give me cash to and I put in an envelope and I mail it home to my mom. And my mom would pay my bills for me. And, you know, I can just remember, I was like, you know, that's just so cool, but I can't keep, I can't ask him to do that for me. And I can't keep putting it on my mom. And so I ended up moving back and he was like, no, don't leave, don't leave. And that was the hardest decision. I, one of, that was probably the hardest decision I ever made in my life to go ahead and say, all right, I need to go ahead and leave and, you know, start my own life. And with Lorenzo, it was, it's all about his friends that had less stuff than we had. He would always, you know, try to pull them. Describe for us, um why it was important to him to have people um, like you and others literally on his staff. Oh, that meant the world to him. To be around the people that he loved and the people that he thought loved him the most meant the world to him. He he, he always wanted to be around his, his family and friends, always. And if you're especially from his hometown, from Oxford, he showed you so much love, you know. It was unbelievable. But he, he, loved, he loved around being around people that cared for him. Girl, girl, y'all really trying to get something. Mm. Mm. Uh, okay, here goes some. These are the ones right before the draft. That's Zeddy again, Lorenzen's aunt, Deborah's sister. And boy, do they look and sound alike. We visited Zeddy and her son Trevino in her Atlanta home. Trevino, whose nickname is Jig, also spent a lot of time around his cousin. He was like a big brother. Because he told me, I will pay you for the summer to work out with me. So every summer for like 15 years, he paid me like $500 every week to just work out with him. He was like, save your money for school. So whenever I went to school, he'll still give me the money that he paid me. But he'll still give me $2,000 just to go to school. He was like, man, you'll never have one for nothing. He was like, now, when I give it to you, get your bank account. 
So you get a bank account. Put if you, if, even if I give you five hundred dollars, put three hundred dollars in there and spend two hundred dollars just to save your money. While Lorenzen gave money lessons to his cousin Trevino, maybe it was because at some point he learned one himself because he and Shara were definitely big spenders, living large those early years in the league and throughout his career. It's, it's a different lifestyle because he, what did he make the first year? Well, it was like, it was like five million over a three year period. I think that's what it was, 5.4 million for three years. He was making over a million dollars a year. His second contract, which is usually the ball uh, NBA players, bigger contracts is after their rookie contracts. And, you know, he was like most young guys. In the NBA, he's living the life. The life of an NBA player and all that comes with it, the fame, the fortune, uh, the, um, you know, the, the, the followers, you know, and then, um, you know, with having more money than you know what to do with, you know. Big money started rolling in, more than Lorenzen and his crew had ever seen. But according to Monte Nevels, big money also meant big problems. He and Lorenz's friend Phil talked about it. And, you know, there would be conversations Philip and I would have concerning Lorenz and that was just what I thought it would be. I mean, there was no accountability. There was just money being spent. In my own mindset, my, some of my own experiences is my understanding is at the time the Clippers got paid or the NBA got paid on the 15th and the 30th. And Lorenzo was going through money so quick and so fast that he was showing up at the Clippers' office wanting his check on those days. I mean, that kind of money you're making, you know, just let it go direct deposit, you know. And so... Um, Are you saying he was still living paycheck to paycheck? I'm saying that, in a sense, yes. Yes. Because of kind of, there was no accountability. What was being bought or where was money being spent? Of course, Cheryl was a big spender. I mean, she stayed buying different various things, jewelry, purses, shoes, cars, new cars every so often, every couple of months, um, just just living large. Tell us some of the things when he first got, um, start making the money in, in the draft. What were the things that he bought? Cars. What kind? Cars. Uh, what you call them? Uh, Bentleys. About two Bentleys in one week. Where they do that at? So two Bentleys, what else? Oh, uh, you name, name, I ain't lying, name some. Name jewelry, some. Jewelry? Oh, shit, I, I can show y'all better than I can tell y'all the praises of jewelry. Don't play with me now. Let me show you this. I told y'all I had all type of stuff from my time. So Deborah's getting up now. I guess going to show us some jewelry that she got from Lorenzo. Walking back to the bedroom. And you have to think he was making that's a lot of money multi-million dollars yeah for somebody who probably had never seen that much money and needed some direction anybody with that much money that's like a lottery win needs some direction Deborah comes back from the bedroom, not with jewelry, but with receipts and appraisal tickets, showing us how much Lorenzen spent on diamonds, precious stones, and watches. Jacob and Company, five-time zone watch, 
white diamond case, colored diamond bracelet, colored diamond dial with yellow diamond bezel, all pave set in round brilliant, total carat weight, was that 30? 30 carat, Swiss mm -hmm. made, mm -hmm. appraised value. Appraised value, $170,000. This was appraised jewelry. Some of Lorenz's appraised jewelry and watch valued at $170,000. Do you still have all the jewelry? Nope. What'd you do with it? Don't know what they did with it. What do you mean they? The people that were in this house, they got his stuff. So he spent a lot. He bought a lot. Houses? Yes. Mansions. All the houses he had built, families could live in there. You wouldn't even have to know they was there. Actually, my sister and her daughter actually lived with him on the third floor. He had elevators in his house, two of them. Yes. Some of that would come much later in Lorenzen's career. But in California, Deborah says they employed a staff to help out around the house. What all did they have? Uh, nannies, 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 chef, chef, housekeepers, housekeepers. My mama was a housekeeper for a while, but she got tired of sure every time Lorenz would go out of town for a game. She would tell the kids, you see how y'all daddy is? I'm here raising y'all by myself, your dad in the street. Bitch, you living the way, excuse me, y'all, but you living the way you living because he is gone to work. Let him skip a damn game. You're going to miss them money, that money they pay for the damn game. Deborah says her mom got so tired of how bad Shara talked about Lorenz to their children she eventually left L.A. and went back home. And the kids, young, they don't know, so they think their daddy is somewhere, doing something. Mama only one raising us. My mama got tired of hearing that, so that's why she took one time he came up, said, bitch, don't quit talking crazy to them cheering about you. I'm going to whoop her ass or quit. And he said, no, nah, big mama don't do like that. He said, mama said, I tell you what I'm going to do. Red, best thing for us to do, I'm quitting. Today is my last day. So your mom said she would actually hear Shara mm -hmm. talk negatively mm -hmm. about Lorenzen. Right. Like, he's not here. Right. I'm doing all of this by myself. Exactly. You see, who you see? You see your dad? They say, no. Who you see? You see your mom? They say, yeah. No, because your damn dad out there making it so y'all can live like this. Here's Deborah's mother, Louise Vassar, talking about her grandson, Lorenzen, who calls him by his nickname, Ganya. Why did she hate him and she spending all the money like she wanted to? Ganya was a good provider. What kind of dad was he? Oh. Them kids didn't want for nothing, period. Zero, zilch. There wasn't nothing they wanted that they didn't get. And it was the same for Shara. Like, Cheryl changed her house, changed her living room furniture once a year. And everybody always go over to her house and I always say how well she could design stuff. Baby, get you an unlimited budget, you can make a house look like that too. Listen, she got every single thing she wanted. When your husband is out of town somewhere and he's sending you seven or eight or ten boxes of Louis Vuittons and you ain't never seen a nail pad, he done picked them all out for you and sent them to you and you didn't know that it was coming. During his year of living with Lorenzen, Phil Dodson also noticed something about Shara. She would be, um, you know, we would go to practice and, you know, she was always like following up with him, checking on him. Where are you? What are you doing? And it was just almost... I just and I would just wonder. I said, "Man, she is just really on you," <laughs> and, you know. And 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 at the time, I couldn't understand. You know, I'm you know, 20 year old, 21 year old guy, and you know, I'm just you know, at the time, I'm just living my best life. Yeah. <laughs> he admits there were wild times too. Living the dream of, of of you know, hanging with my buddy while he was in the league, and 
you know, of course, you know, every couple would have, you know, spats, especially when you're, you know, you're, you can imagine you, you're in the public eye and, you know, and, you know, there was, you know, we'd go out and there would be, you know, late nights, of course, but she would, I, I just think, well, at the time I was just thinking that, okay, yeah, you probably pushed it on a little bit on that one. You know, you, we might've been out too late, you know, and, but Back then, I never saw any any real red flags. I think the red flags came later on, um, uh, you know, as he really started, you know, his name started getting bigger and he started getting more popularity, more notoriety. And then I, I think, you know, as you're you're continually having kids and you're throwing kids into the mix and, you know, I know that he loved his, he loved kids and he loved her. And I, but I, I think that, you know, her overbearingness kind of maybe pushed him away some. And so, you know, but, you know, still being that, that, that family guy, he was still uh, very committed to um, his family. But um, she had a, she definitely had a way of uh, being a little bit overbearing. So they were living that NBA style mm, for life. For real. So what did you, as his mom, did you ever at any point sit down and talk to him and tell him? Because he was entering a new realm. Yes. It was a different thing that he so, was ever used to. It's something you ain't gonna, everybody ain't forcing him to be like this. So you take a little at a time. That's why I told him, don't get too big-headed, don't get thrown away. You end up getting killed like that. Stay who you are. You can be who you are all the time, but when you go to be being somebody else, you forget who you are. Don't forget where you come from. Don't forget that for sure. I wanted him to make sure, don't forget that. That's why every time he went to Mississippi and did somebody used to tell him, that's my boy. Yeah, money that he never had before. And you know, being a father, you can, you know, give your advice, but when a man start making his own money, it's only, I mean, you can't stop him from doing anything. You can suggest, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that, but it comes down to what he wants to do. And that's one of the problems of going to the NBA too early. I mean, not too early, but at an early age. You go from never having a checkbook to millions of dollars. So, so he, he bought what he wanted and yeah, did yeah. what he this Pretty much, but you know, he took care of the business. That he did. Lorenzen had a solid rookie and second season with the Clippers, and while watching West Coast games was tough, fans in the Bluff City could still see one of their hometown heroes. So we would keep up with him. Usually, you know, those games are over at 11.30 or so, but if he had a big game or had a great block or dunk or something like that next day in our 6 o'clock newscast, we'd show it. So we followed him. And this was at a time when Memphis didn't have an NBA team, and so the, the Tigers were the NBA team. And I mean, I remember when I first got here, when Penny Hardaway was in the playoffs, we would cover Orlando um, like it was Memphis's team because we didn't the, we didn't have a we didn't have a team. So so you all were tracking these. Yeah, stars, we would. Yeah, they, they became guys. they became sort of Memphis's professional team. Whether it was Penny or whether it was Lorenzen or whether it was those are the guys you followed in the NBA because there was no there was no Memphis team. 
And like other NBA players from Memphis, Lorenzen continued to maintain a presence at home while living away, even helping pitch for a pro team. Hardaway and Los Angeles Clippers star Lorenzen Ryder back home for the Bluff City Basketball Classic. I think their worries are that, you know, we're not going to fill up the arena. We're not going to have the fan support, so that's why we haven't got one. So if we start filling up the college um, games, I think we'll end up with a team. So Lorenzen's early years in the NBA are going well, and once again his life is growing in more ways than one. By 1997, Shara had given birth to their second child, a daughter, Lauren Selena Wright. Lorenzen Jr., whose nickname is Snoop, was almost two. Lorenzen himself was almost 21 years old. He and Shara had been dating for roughly five years. What made them decide to go ahead and get married? Uh, insurance. Sure, figure if uh, something happened to him, them kids can get their insurance money. He didn't want to get married? He didn't ask her to marry him. She asked him. No, she said, less. Not with you, less get married. Less. But they had been together for a long time, yeah, right? Yeah, but she had pussy whooped him. When Cheryl got him, she rolled him up and nodded him good. What Sharon did to get him to marry, Sharon said she's pregnant. I said, Gunny, is she pregnant? Me and you done fucked. Excuse the expression, but that's just the way I told him. So Gunny went down my throat believing what Cheryl said, but that baby had never been born. How did they tell you they were getting married? Uh, Mama, you know what? I said, what? Uh, you going to have to get ready for who? And I said, who is? Ask Cheryl. I said, sure, who get married? She said, ask your son. I said, hold up. I'm not going to be doing this all night. Do y'all want me to know or not? And she said, we are, we are. On June 6, 1998, Lorenzen Wright and Shara Robinson became husband and wife. So they came back to Memphis mm -hmm. for the wedding. Mm -hmm. I thought that, you know what, everybody used to get married at Long Town. Woodland Hills. Yeah, Woodland Hills, right. What was the wedding day like? It was fun, fun. They had some of the best food I have tasted in my life. That food was good to me. It was a really nice day. They had the doves and they had the everything. Wedding pictures show Shira in a sleeveless white gown with a detailed bodice and high neckline. A long veil covers her hair. Lorenzen is dressed in an all-white tuxedo. Deborah is wearing a white suit with a long skirt. Herb is in an all-black suit. Of course, Lorenzen's friends, like Michael and Phil, were by his side that day. Yeah, I was in the wedding. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Um, I had never been in a wedding before. That was, Lorenzen got married my junior year, going, maybe going to my senior year. I think I was going to summer, my my senior year at Ole Miss. Um, I can remember saying, like I said, I was shocked. Man, I'm getting married, man, so I want you to be at my wedding. I can remember the wedding the day, the night before the wedding, me going to pick up the tuxes, us hanging out, had the bash party on the riverboat, all that. So it was awesome. How would you describe the, the ceremony itself and the two of them? And I thought it was on a whole nother level. I've never seen, I've been to weddings, but not been in one. So I've never seen anything so big and so many people and, and so beautiful. I mean, it was nice. They were married at uh, Woodland Hills, and uh, I was uh, one of the groomsmen. And it was a uh, you know beautiful, you know beautiful ceremony. Um, you know I can remember, uh, I just remember so how many flowers there were. I don't think I've ever seen that many flowers in a wedding. Um, but it was a, a great time. The uh, 
the reception was wonderful. Uh, it was just, it was just a great time. But once again, on what was supposed to be one of the best days of their lives, Deborah claims things weren't picture perfect. What do you remember about Lorenzen that day? Uh, that he was still checking out people, men around her. Because she always had him thinking that everybody wanted her. But soon, Lorenzen, his bride, and their growing family would make another move. After three seasons with the Clippers in the summer of 1999, he was traded to the Atlanta Hawks. When he got as close as Atlanta, that was good for us, Atlanta. Because we were driving back and forth to Atlanta all the time anyway. So that was Johnny on the spot. And his father, Herb, decided it was time for Lorenzen to stand on his own. At what point did you and Lisa come back to Memphis? Uh, after you... his third year in California. And he got traded to the uh, Atlanta Hawks. And I told him, hey, you, you're a grown man now. You're going to Atlanta, you're closer to home, and uh, I'm going home. So he goes to the Hawks, and you all come back home. Right. And he and Sharon, I guess, what, they have two kids now at that point? Yeah, two kids. Was she pregnant with the twins? Yeah, yes. I know Lorenzen, he loves kids, so even when we were kids, he was talking about how he's going to have a big family. So I just witnessed it happen, you know. <laughs> That's Michael Gibson again, or Mike G as everyone calls him. While Herb and Lisa moved back to Memphis, once again, Lorenzen had a team with him in Atlanta. Gibson still lives there, and when we visited with him, he showed us a framed Hawks jersey with the number 42. It was one of the few things he said he wanted to keep after Lorenzen's death because the date they both moved to Atlanta is inscribed on the back. My senior year, Lorenzen called me and said, hey, man, I got traded to the Hawks. You want to move to Atlanta? I said, sure, why not? So I finished up summer school, and I moved to Atlanta. Once he, we both moved at the same time in August of 1999. Um, so he said, hey, look, you're my first year here. I just want you to be my personal assistant, you know, do things for me. You know, I pay you the salary. That's what happened. I was with the family every day. I was the one taking Cheryl to a doctor's apartment, you know, all that. So um, we became friends, and I thought that she was cool, you know. So when he was on the road, you were still at the house taking, helping take care of stuff with the kids and taking Shara around. Right. And what was Shara like um, in the beginning, or did you see any change as far nah. as him being on the road and everything? No, nah, I mean, she supported it. I didn't see anything. She wasn't, she wasn't the type that, okay, well, he's gone. Let me go out and do something. No, she was always pregnant, for one. <laughs> you know, so, but she had fell in love, she fell in love with, how can I furnish the house? How can I furnish myself? She wasn't the type that I can't even recall her going out, you know, maybe once or twice, if that, you know. We drove by one of those homes during our trip to Atlanta. It sits in a ritzy neighborhood north of Buckhead on Mount Perrin Road. The Wrights built it in the year 2000 for $3.1 million. The home sits on roughly two acres. It has more than 6,000 square feet with 17 rooms. Although the house sits further back, it's surrounded by a gate that's pretty close to the street, so we buzzed just to see if anyone was there and if they knew the history of who lived there. A woman on the other end answered, but she was confused, so we moved on. 
At the time the Wrights lived there, Lorenzen wasn't a rookie in the league anymore, and his new salary reflected that. He made more than $9 million over two years with the Hawks. Gibson said Sherrod's spending habits grew, too. She's out shopping like, I don't know what, and this is all day, every day. You know, I'm taking her to these places, so I know how much she's spending. I'm like, oh, my God, really? How did he feel about Lorenzen it? Feel about Oh well, he uh, he 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 had no problem with it. He he wanted to take care of her. He wanted his wife to have anything that she wanted. He didn't mind the spending. Like the time Shara wasn't about to be outdone by another NBA wife. When Jimmy Jackson played for the Hawks, and his wife come in because she used to manage Mike Tyson, so she comes up in a Bentley and a rock that's so big that it'll scare you. Next thing I know, Shara all up in Lorenzo's ear, telling him, "Oh, I need something like that." Blah 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 blah. And gets it. I'm like, whoa. A Bentley? No, not the Bentley. The ring. The ring probably costs more than Bentley. <laughs> but just as Lorenzen had a reputation for spending, he was also known for giving back. They are heroes in tank tops. NBA players who grew up in Memphis giving back to Memphis. Todd Day, Penny Hardaway, Elliot Perry, and Lorenzen Wright are all donating money to the Travis Butler Fund. Travis's mother died of natural causes, and the nine-year-old kept it a secret, going to school and grocery shopping on his own until her body was found a month later. The idea began in Atlanta. I was very happy to do everything that I could to get some of the other guys to, that are from Memphis to you know, add on to it, and you know, we raised a little money for him, so hopefully it's gonna help him out a lot. You know, once he went pro, you know, having the free camps, down at the pyramid, it's almost unheard of. Everybody wanted money, you know, and Ren said he wanted to fund it. He wanted, you know, he wanted to give kids a chance to come to camps that normally wouldn't be able to. So he partnered with Mayor uh, Willie Harrington, and they would he would do a uh, camp each summer down at the pyramid. When I was growing up, I didn't have the money to go to the paid camp, so you know, I didn't want to have to have the kids worrying about how they're going to get money, how their mom's going to be able to get money to get them in camp. Always giving back, you know, whether it's uh, donating, like I said, uniforms, backpacks, well, anything he could do to help someone, he would do it and be happy to do it. Most of the people that I met while he was playing, they would come to me and and the thing that I liked about it was it wasn't so much of how good of a basketball player he was, it was how good of a person he was. And, you know, that, that made me proud because, you know, it meant he was raised in the right way. He would do for everybody. Yes, yes, ever. You know, he gave three schools shoes every year he was in the league. Every year. He gave him two pairs of shoes every year. Which schools? BTW, one of them. Shelby State, the other one, Lafayette High School in Mississippi. Yes, ma'am. He provided me with two pairs of shoes for each kid every year since he went pro until the end of the day. Bought his uniforms. Come by and get a group of kids, take them out to eat. Two pairs of shoes every year for every player at BTW. It's a lot. Yeah, every year.
That was Fred Horton, who coached Lorenzen his senior year at Booker T. Washington here in Memphis. Here's Mike Foster, Lorenzen's coach earlier in high school at Lafayette in Oxford, Mississippi. What does that mean to for people that don't understand high school athletics and what you Well, have it meant to... a lot to your program because what it does, it allows you to do, do other things. Uh, you know, uh, well, you know, we'd have a fundraiser or two during the year, but you take somebody comes in and gives you $10,000 worth of shoes or $5,000 worth of shoes or and $5,000 for some uniforms, that means a whole lot to you. It means a whole lot to your program. And, uh, yeah, Lorenzen gave back. He was. He was that type of person. You know, he just had that big old heart and that big old smile. And in that big heart was a special place for the women who'd raised him. And Lorenzen loved her tremendously because he told me, and, and the coach's office was sitting there talking one day, he said, I'm going to take care of my uh, uh, grandmother. And, uh, well, you know, a 16-year-old kid telling you at that joint particular time in his life that he's going to take care of his grandmother, you know, that just shows you how big his heart is, too. And uh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have sell his person. Oh, I told y'all my name. My name is Miss Piggy, not Granny. Hey, hey, what you know good? I don't know how many hundred dollars I got in my hand. He come to my house that evening up there in Memphis, and oh boy, he was in such excitement, such excitement. I want you to come see my rims. I want you to see my rims. I want you to see my rims. Okay? I'm going to see the rim. Come on, see, can you drive So I drove it on up to by the school, and I turned around, come on, and he said, didn't know. That Cheryl, and I forget this boy, was in the back of the car. He had, because I didn't look in the car, neither. And they was taping everything. So after I turned around and started on back to the high, he said, this yours. I put my foot on the brakes and couldn't drive it. He had to drive it to the house. Wasn't me, one person, with a station wagon and a Cadillac. I ring out, drive the Cadillac on Sunday in the studio. <laughs> but that's just the way he was, huh? He'd just come by and... Yep, never know. Never know what he was going to do. He didn't want you to work? Nope. Because he, you know, I worked so many jobs raising them, you know, so he didn't want me to do all this, keep doing all this stuff so when I'm with. giving you about 5000 a month? Yes, ma'am. What else did he do? House. I, I was babysitting the kids, and he sent a limousine to pick me up, talking my woo saying to go over to some charity event. We done went to three neighborhoods. I ain't seen no sign by no charity, nothing. So where did this damn limousine driver taking us? So we went to the last neighborhood, which was Rosalie, where Rochelle Stevens used to live. I was like, oh, there's some nice houses over here. Then we pulled up in front of my house, and here come my sister at the house. I couldn't do them but start crying. And soon, Deborah's firstborn and one of Memphis's biggest basketball stars would be back home. But coming back to Memphis held its own set of troubles. On the next episode of Killing Lorenzen, 
A banner on the pyramid welcomes NBA fans to the Grizzlies' new den. Oh yeah, I was surprised. You know, now things are just starting to happen in Atlanta, and you know, I'm, I'm going to miss those guys. You know, I love those guys. You know, they were a great home, but they traded me back home, and I'm, I'm happy. He was ecstatic. Oh, he couldn't wait. What he gonna do when he get home? He gonna do this. He gonna start this. Oh, he's just so ecstatic. He wanted to come home, for real. He said, "I won't have to worry about you traveling, and getting to me. You right." I cannot put into words the sense of grief that Sharon and I feel at this time. The loss of our daughter, Sierra Simone, is devastating. We loved her so much and we miss her dearly. That changed his whole everything. I think that changed his whole marriage, his whole thought process. I, I, I believe that's when everything went down. The hurt that he had from that was just unexplainable. I mean, he was... I thought he was going to die. Were you aware, you all aware that things were rocky or? Oh yeah. Uh, I just thought, you know, young, young people, you know, hopefully they would get it together, but wasn't to be. But I will say this much, she was a hoe. She comes through and threw a brick through the RV. They might as well have been divorced because they were, uh, it, was, it, was, it was just a bad, bad relationship as far as they couldn't even talk, you know, without um, arguing. Killing Lorenzen, Love, Basketball, Murder. It's a production of WREG-TV in Memphis. It's reported and hosted by us, Zanetta Lowe and April Thompson. Our editors are Michael Gates and Josh Strawn. Original music, Lorenzen's Theme, by Boo Mitchell and Uriah Mitchell of Royal Studios, Memphis, Tennessee. Cover art by Corinne Zeta. David Royer is in charge of web and social. Eric Lipford handles our file research. And thanks to our colleagues, Alex Coleman, Caleb Hilliard, and Sean Scott for their assistance. Jessica Davis is our intern. And none of this would be possible without the support of our assistant news director, Sarah Van Arnhem, and our news director, Bruce Moore. While you're here, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate, and share it.